The Joyful Friar podcast is made possible by the generous support of our friends. To support the podcast, please visit nathan-castle.com and donate today. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Joyful Friar podcast. I'm Father Nathan Castle, your host, ably assisted today by my canine uh, companion, Toto. In fact, he's been... um, getting a, a little tiny treat. So I'm recording this session late in the month of January. So there's still Christmas treats left around. Somebody got him a little bag of treats that are tiny little Christmas trees that are peanut butter and vanilla flavored that are little dog biscuits. So uh, he's, uh, if for those of you that are listening and not seeing a picture of him, He's a seven-pound miniature poodle and is just uh, a a great, great friend of mine. Today, we're working on uh, the second of three, uh, what we call parts of a trilogy, three shows. Last time, I introduced you to the character of Samuel the Clothier. He's included in my most recent book that only came out about six weeks ago. Uh, So not that many people have read it yet, and it's not in audio form until I finish it. And uh, we hope to finish that in the next week and get that uh, uploaded to uh, Audible. So this story doesn't have a wide circulation, and consequently, uh, I'm usually doing this second video, I call it a compassionate response, because I get responses from... um, listeners, readers, uh, people who uh, comment, particularly in emails, about some impact that the story had on them or something it provoked in them. Um, so, and and very often, um, because the stories that I tell involve people who died suddenly or traumatically, very often people who are receiving these stories are doing that through a wounded heart. You know, a lot of times it's... Um, uh, parents or spouses or somebody that's uh, grieving the loss of someone. And when that loss comes in a sudden violent way, it's all the harder. Uh, anyway, the, the way that we're going about this story is I'll, I'll recap just a little bit of it, but you can find it now at least in the um, print book form, in the ebook form on Amazon. It's it's uh, Afterlife Interrupted Book 3, Please Let Me Explain. The cho- stories were all chosen because I thought that the people telling them did an exceptional job of explaining either what led to and through their death or what their afterlife healing process has been to this point. Something about the way that they explained things that I thought was uh, valuable to pass along to people like you. So um, just to recap, uh, 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 Samuel showed me very little in a dream. Um, he, I knew that I was with a gentleman who I thought of as portly, you know, that's a positive uh, adjective to use for a person, maybe stout um, would be another, Uh, for somebody more athletic, maybe stocky, Um, an unflattering or unkind way to defer to a similar person might have been flabby. You know, we have a lot of of adjectives that that describe uh, physical appearance and in this case, weight. Anyway, I just thought he he had dignity and bearing and was portly, well-groomed, well-clothed, and he 
we were doing nothing but facing each other in a conversation when he collapsed, hit the floor and was gone. And I woke up and I heard the word clothier as, um, as the dream was ending. That's an uncommon word. So again, that story is there told in, in, uh, in fullness in book three. He explained in the crossing that we did with him and in the subsequent follow-up, you know, we don't use any of their stories without going back a second time and getting their permission to make them public. Well, anyway, we, we, um, he, he explained that he was a homosexual person in a time and place where had that been known, it would have been um, disastrous for him or I don't know if he used the word disaster, but it was uh, it was very much a negative that would have caused a lot of uh, more complications in his life. He had decided in uh, his late adolescence that um, there was nothing to be done except make the best of it. Uh, that's kind of the way he approached it. And he said, I was determined to have a happy life. And he said, for good or ill, the way that a man appeared caught my eye. And he... And he he took that trait, uh, which he thought is morally neutral because for good or ill, uh, maybe. Anyway, he, he just, he said, that's the way it was. That's the way it was. So I decided maybe I could do something with that that would be for the common good. That he ended up working in the line of fine menswear, uh, learning about drape and cloth and texture and um, particularly for men who could afford tailoring. Uh, he could work in stores where he had an expertise that was helpful. He told us, too, that one of the things that he most enjoyed about his line of work, and he spoke of it in vocational kind of language, he said um, the bread and butter was mostly stockbrokers and lawyers who people expected to have a manicured appearance. And uh, so they were willing to spend the money to have someone, a consultant like Samuel, help them pick out clothes that most flattered them. He also told us that um, as much as he enjoyed working with these steady clients, he he really enjoyed the occasions when uh, some guy that hardly ever bought uh, an expensive suit of clothes did so perhaps before a wedding or a job interview. And he said, he said, this might be the only time in their life where they're ever in a store like the one I worked in. But he he told us how he went about his work. He said, I thought the first he said I wasn't a costumer. I wasn't trying to dress someone up to look like something they are not the way that we might at Halloween or masquerade. He said, I wasn't a costumer. I would ask them if they would please to tell me something about their appearance that they liked. And he said, you know, very often people struggle to do that. But if they would do that, he would he would then say, now may I have your permission to tell you uh, what I think about your appearance that is um, a strength that we can accentuate and build upon. And then he, he, he gave the example, he said, I might say to a person with green eyes, you have piercing green eyes. Anything that we do in your clothing that has shades of green will lead people to have better eye contact with you and you'll have better quality communications and conversations. Isn't that interesting? Um, so anyway, in the story, he told us how his own guardian uh, presented himself in his afterlife 
as um, someone who might have been a long-term loyal customer and his guardian and he, you know, were building a relationship and it wasn't exactly clear to him that this was his guardian angel. He was just this guy that was helpful. And he said he didn't have wings or a halo or anything. Um, but um, anyway, he, uh, his guardian said to, said to him, would you allow me to, show myself to you as I truly am. I just love that line. Would you allow me to show myself to you as I truly am? Maybe a few times in your life, if you haven't put it in so many words, maybe there have been occasions where you were vulnerable enough with someone to uh, put down any defenses or false fronts and be seen as you truly are, whatever that meant. Well, anyway, that's what he did. And then He said, now watch me carefully. And he said he pirouetted and he went from being in the in the human form that he had been showing me to a being of light. And he said it was the most radiant, beautiful light he had ever seen. And he was his whole life had been about uh, physical beauty and uh, and style and color, shape, form. And, he's, and he said, I've never seen anything as beautiful as what you just showed me. And he said, well, now I'm going to turn back into the form that you're used to seeing me in. But um, now I would like you to step into the, this mirrored space and allow uh, yourself to see yourself as you truly are. And it was one of those mirrored spaces that you've probably seen in some clothing store where there was there's one flat mirror in front of you and then two angle at a 45 degree where you sort of stand in this space made by these three planes of mirrors so that you can get a better view peripherally of your side, side to side, a broader vision of what these clothes might look like on you, except it wasn't clothes. He was just said, now you do what I did. You just turn. And when he did, he also became brilliant light and, and then turned back into his human form and was asked to, to tell me what you just saw. And he said, uh, uh, beauty uh, that's beyond words. And he said, well, that's what you are. Well, I loved that story so because um, I wonder if there's anybody that makes it full of th through a full human life without some kind of negative thinking about themselves and about their appearance. Um, uh, I'd like to meet that person. And, and I've done a lot of pastoral counseling. And one of the things that uh, sometimes is necessary is when you when you get a sense that people really uh, are their own worst critic or their own, uh, they get in their own way and sadden themselves with something that has to do with uh, self-image uh, to try to get them to take another look. You know, is there another way that we could look at your circumstance and see things differently? Well, anyway, I hope that if any of you struggle with anything like that, where, uh, where there's something about you, either in terms of physical appearance or personal history, resume, um, sometimes people go into moral categories and have regrets about things that they've done that they feel can't be forgiven or whatever it might be, whatever it might make you think that you are not at all important or you're degraded in some way, I hope that you find Uh, Samuel's story helpful because we all are made of the stuff of God 
we're made of light and, and wonder. And even if we've done something to kind of tarnish that um, image, we can't change the fact that we're made a wonderfully made. It's, one of the, it's in the Psalms, it says we're beautifully, wonderfully made. So that, I, I'm just reiterating that. But another thing I want to highlight in this kind of um, re uh, response thing is I really admired the way that he assessed himself at about 19 or 20, saw um, an apparent negative, his his sexual orientation and the, uh, the way that that would be perceived were it known. Uh, he couldn't really do much of anything about that, but he didn't let that derail him. He said, I was determined to live a happy life. And he didn't only live a happy life, but he lived a life of service. He knew that he would be happiest if he were serving people in some way that made their lives better. And it turned out, he said, the fact that I had some eye for what uh, made a man look good, I could turn that into a service that I could do for other people. He, he particularly talked about how he loved it when he knew that somebody could barely afford his services and had probably never bought custom clothing before. He said, sometimes it was mystical, like he said, I would just get this notion that, oh my God, I know just the thing and I know where it is in the back room. And he'd have something, uh, he said, that was, um, that fit them like a glove and that didn't need tailoring. He said that was important because tailoring was an extra expense that men of more modest means couldn't afford. So he said it gave him great joy when he found just the right thing. And sometimes he said, I felt like I was directed toward it. Like there was some, you know, spirit helper that was uh, part of uh, <laughs> his uh, an invisible workforce. Anyway, he, he, um, he, the part that I want to uh, accentuate in this brief podcast is that he did an assessment of himself at about 19, I think. And he um, took an apparent negative his orientation and made it useful and 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 found a lifelong vocation he lived into old age he told us that he had retired from that work but it was the kind of work that you could be invited back into if someone were sick uh or if there were a need to mentor someone coming up that uh you might know some things that you could pass along well um you know, right now, for those of you that are seeing this, you can see that I have my little dog friend in my lap, and I've been feeding them these tiny little Christmas trees that he likes very much. And I'm not very filling. But right now, what I'm doing is picking up a deck of cards. I'm picking up a deck of cards. I um, I love to play cards. And in fact, I'm scheduling a game coming up soon with some friends. I like to play uh, a double um, deck pinnacle. When you play with six people, and two decks of pinnacle cards, when when the game is first beginning, you have 14 cards in your hand, and Toto is smelling them because I don't think he's seen me hold playing cards. He wants to know what they are. Well, uh, you when you I, I like when I do you like to play cards? What, what the way that I like to be dealt to is I don't like to pick up my cards one at a time as the dealer turn, uh, uh, distributes them. I like to wait until they're all dealt and then pick them all up at once. And then the first thing that you do, according to the rules of whatever game you're playing, is assess the strengths and weaknesses of your hand. I like Pinnacle. It's a little bit like Bridge, but not as complicated. 
uh, hearts, spades, rummy. They're all kind of card games where when you first dealt your cards, the first thing you do is pick them up and assess what's what are the strengths and weaknesses of this hand. Sometimes you're playing with a partner, so you can you have to keep in mind how might I help my partner, but you don't know exactly what they've got either. So like in bridge, you at least bid where you can kind of let your partner know what strengths and weaknesses you might have according to how you bid a hand. Well, anyway, I, I, um, I, I thought that Samuel's way of looking at his life was, was uh, creative and that he took an apparent negative and turned it to a positive. When I play Pinnacle, um, you might have, um, you might have a really low card, uh, like a nine of clubs, and you think, how can I make this win a trick? And once in a while, you get to do it. Some card that's not at all strong, if it's played in just the right way, at just the right moment, uh, it it, uh, it is strong. Well, I've had to do, uh, my life has had very many changes in it because of my religious vow of obedience to go where I'm sent. And so there's been a, maybe an uncommon number of times where I've had to not exactly reinvent myself, but at least adapt to a, a new context and a new role and a new set of uh, housemates and so on, where uh, climates sometimes very often um, in a place where you hardly know anybody and all your friends are now at a distance somewhere else. And so it, how to how to take whatever life brings you and approach it as a new hand. That's been a way that I've uh, moved through my life at, of, of almost 68 years. Um, rather than grouse about something, you know, if, if you're going to play cards once in a while, you're going to get a hand you, you, that really isn't very good. And I think over the life course, life gives you some circumstances to deal with that just are not very good. You know, illnesses and disappointments of different kinds, um, financial troubles, all, all kinds of things. But I've, I've tried to be something like Samuel and saying, yeah, yeah, this isn't what I wish it were, but how can I make things better? How can I work with what I've got? And then um, I like to remind myself too, you know, that phrase, this too shall pass. People use that when there's something that's distressing in the present moment, and it's probably going to endure for, for a while. But part of the way to move through it is to think, well, remember, this is temporary. This will pass. Uh, the sun will come out tomorrow, something like that. I don't think that's just necessarily, you know, idle cheerfulness. It, it's just a strategy for moving through life. And I think Samuel demonstrated that. So I wondered in, if that would be helpful to you to think, um, you know, it, when you play cards, you play for the evening. You don't play just one hand. And it might be that you're given a hand that isn't really very good. If you're playing with a partner, sometimes you can uh, turn over authority to the partner and let them know through the, through the way that you signal according to the rules of the game that my hand is not very strong. I'm looking to you to be the stronger partner in this moment. There, there are analog analogies there maybe. But, um, but it, I, I've sometimes enjoyed in a card game playing a weak hand to see how I can maximize it. Uh, in Pinnacle, for example, if you get lots of aces, you're probably going to win at score high, which is fun. But uh, it doesn't take very much skill to do that. The aces 
you know, uh, outrank the things. And if you've got a whole bunch of them, you naturally uh, win that hand rather easily. Sometimes it's even, that's fine. I like that. I like winning. But uh, sometimes I've enjoyed having a weak hand that with enough craft and skill and a careful attention to how the cards are being played, I might be able to turn this to, to uh, into uh, a victory. In my life, the, the vow of poverty has meant um, that you just can't go to the store and buy whatever you want. And so some, and I was an art student originally. So taking kind of the vow of poverty has made me look at my life and my surroundings and take whatever's on hand and figure out how to use that to best advantage to make something beautiful. For example, in, uh, you know, living spaces, paint doesn't cost much. I remember my mom visiting me once and uh, she, I, I said, you know, this place is just dirty. And, and the, the leadership of it at the time uh, didn't seem to notice it and, uh, and didn't seem to care. And, and, and very often would say, we can't afford something. And have you ever been in a circumstance like that, where there's just sort of a dour attitude that pervades a place and those who live in it or in charge of it are content with, um, with things as they are, even if they're a mess. Well, I remember her saying, well, yeah, but soap and water don't cost much. <laughs> I said, said, you're right. And so I started doing some uh, cleaning without being real aggressive about showing anybody up. I just started whenever I could get away with it, quietly cleaning up areas and decluttering and stuff. I've done a, a lifetime of that. So that's just in a physical space, but in, in spiritual space or in one's life, uh, I just think I really admire the way Samuel just looked at things and looked at his life as a young person and said, I'm going to make this good. I'm going to work with what I've got and make it better. One, and as a Catholic Christian, one of the ways that I do that regularly is with the Lord's Prayer. You know how when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, give us today our daily bread. Give me today what I need. I'm only asking for bread. I'm not asking for a buffet. Um, I'm not asking for, uh, you know, some outlandishly expensive meal. Could I just have some bread, please? The bread that I need for the day. And then receive that and then uh, make some good use out of things. Uh, so I think I might be going on too long and belaboring it. Don't you get, you get the point, don't you? That it, it could be that the Samuel story could inspire in you as it has in me a kind of a new uh, resolution to look at what I've got kind of a it's sort of glass half full kind of idea it's it's not completely original but i just like meeting samuel and seeing the way he went went about life and how especially how he helped other people uh walk out of his store uh with a, a kind of skip in their step or a, a boost to their own sense of self that might have set them up for a great day or or, or maybe a life of service to other people so with that. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, as always, remember that I'm praying for you. If there's something I can do to help you, you can contact me through my website, nathan-castle.com. So for my assistant today, Toto and myself, God bless you. Hope you have a great day. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joyful Friar. Please like, follow, and subscribe you can visit me at nathan-castle.com.
send me a message by clicking the contact button. God bless.